But I pray that you all are captivated by Christ this evening, captivated by his love, by his goodness, by his grace. So as we continue to worship our great King and God, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, as we continue in our sermon series on our mission and vision called Faithful in the Ordinary Things. Faithful in the Ordinary Things. So last week, we kicked off uh, the first sermon of three on our mission statement, right? So last week, we looked at the first part of our mission, which was we exist to glorify God. We exist to glorify God. That's what we were created for. That's what we were made for. That's what we are to live for by God's grace. So last week we dealt with the who, right? Who we were made for. This week we'll deal with the what. So what is the what? Well, that what is, if you follow along with our mission statement, right? It's that it's by making disciples of Jesus Christ. So the who we exist for and who uh, for God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. So I pray, even as you heard earlier in the service, as I made announcements, I pray even as we think about making disciples, one, I pray that you are uh, captivated by that, compelled by that, uh, to, to pour your life out for making disciples here on the block and to the ends of the earth. Uh, and on that topic of thinking about the ends of the earth and local, uh, Pastor Dennis will be with us this Wednesday uh, to talk more about missions and to talk about a class that they're going to be leading here uh, starting in January. So I want to invite you out to that. We'll have Bible study at seven. And then right after Bible study, Pastor Dennis and his team will uh, lead us in a presentation on missions. Amen. So I'm excited. I am excited to, to dig into our passage this evening. And so before I do, let me ask God for his help. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, we come before you uh, once again this evening. Uh, grateful, God, for the access that we have uh, through the Son, by the Spirit, that we can pray to you. And that you hear us. And that you will answer according to uh, your perfect will and plan, and that it will be for our good and for our joy. And so, God, as we think about making disciples, as you have commanded and commissioned us to do, God, would you help us to see it as a delight and not a duty? Would you help us to trust you because you are the one who... Uh, essentially makes disciples. You just call us to be faithful to proclaiming the message of the cross, but it's you who bring the increase. It's you who saves. It's you who makes someone who uh, at one point, like all of us in here, who uh, didn't love you. Uh, our lives were offenses to you, but you have drawn us near and made us uh, your children, your people. And you have called us to tell others about your love and your grace. And so, 
God, I pray that captivate us, arrest our hearts this evening in the gospel, in your mission, for your glory, and for the advancement of your gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, reads as follows. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. This is, this is God's word. So a little bit of context on the book of Matthew is that Matthew is the author. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector, uh, but a tax collector who was saved by God and made a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the book of Matthew is an eyewitness account of the Lord Jesus's life, his death, burial and resurrection. And the passage we're studying this evening comes right off of the cuff of what the Lord Jesus has done, what he has come to do. And so what did the Lord Jesus come to do? Well, the Lord Jesus came down from heaven to respond to our sin. He came to respond to our sin and the story starts back that God created us, right? In his image, after his likeness. We looked at this last week as we were thinking about what we were created for. And that was to worship God, uh, to, to enjoy God and to worship him, to bask in his glory and to uh, make his glory known. But we know that the story continues in Genesis 3 that we have fallen, that we have sinned against God, that we have lived lives that are unpleasing to God, that are an offense to God. And essentially our sin has separated us from God. But Jesus comes to right our wrongs, to live a perfect sinless life and to die on the cross for our sins in our place, satisfying the wrath of God that was due to sinners like us. And then he rose from the dead on the third day, proving that he is God, proving also that he has defeated all of our enemies. So our enemies, so Satan, sin and death, proving that he has defeated all of our enemies and then offering salvation for all who would turn from their sin and turn to him by faith. Listen to some of the verses earlier. Uh, to, to help with more of the context. So look at uh, chapter 28, verses 1 through 6. Here's what it reads. It says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, 
For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. So where we are in our passage this evening in the text that we are studying uh, is, is post-resurrection. Jesus has lived, died, and resurrected from the dead. And you'll see in just a moment that because Jesus lived, died, and rose, that this changes everything. It changes everything. And that he also invites us all on mission. All of us on mission. This is a beautiful thing, family. It's a beautiful thing. So, all right, if you're taking notes, here's the main idea of our passage this evening. It's this. If you're taking notes in your phone or writing down, here it is. Main idea. Jesus, in his power and by the provision of his presence, commissions every Christian to make disciples. I'll say it again. Jesus, in his power and by the provision of his presence, commissions every Christian to make disciples. I just have two points for us this evening, then I'm out your way. Point number one, see the Savior and worship. Some will doubt. So we see that in verses 16 through 17. So point one, see the Savior and worship. Some will doubt. Point number two, the Savior sends us on mission so that people may be saved. And we'll see that from verses 18 through 20. So the Savior sends us on mission so that people may be saved. So point one, see the Savior and worship. Some will doubt. Look back with me in verse 16 and 17. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. So in verse 16, as we already know, uh, there were 11 disciples, right? There was 12, right? Judas, who was one of the 12, betrayed Jesus for some money and things didn't turn out so well for him. So these disciples, though, were called by Christ or called to Christ and by Christ earlier in his ministry. And so they have been with Jesus. They've been following Jesus. They've been taught by Jesus. And they've been obeying Jesus for the three years that they have been with him and years to come, obeying him. I mean, think about that for a second. To be taught by Jesus, <laughs> what, a, what a seminary education that is. To be with Jesus, to be present with him, to see him and to see his works. Uh, what uh, great teaching and example that would have been for us if we were present. But in obeying fashion, they went to Galilee, as we continue on, they went to Galilee to the mountain as Jesus had told them to do. So we see this in Matthew 28, 10. Look at verse 10. It says, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So the disciples obey that. They obey what the Lord Jesus had told them to do. And so Galilee is a region in the northern part of Israel. Uh, this is where Jesus grew up in a city called Nazareth. So not too sure of the significance of Jesus telling them to go to the mountain or which mountain, as it doesn't say. But we do know that Jesus spent time on the mountain. Some of the things he spent time on the mountain doing was what? Praying and teaching. 
And in this case, telling the apostles and the church what their marching orders are to be, as we'll see in a bit. So in verse 17, if you look with me, the disciples saw him and worshiped him. I mean, think about it. This is uh, some of the disciples first time seeing the resurrected king after he told them he would die and rise from the dead. This is the first time that some of them are seeing him. The first time. Yeah, they heard what he said, but now they see what he has done fulfilled, that he has been risen from the dead. Can you imagine if we were there, what was probably going through the disciples' head at this time? If not all, some of them, if not all, some man told them for three years that he would die and rise from the dead. This same man turned water into wine. He healed the sick. He raised others from the dead, etc., etc. Surely if I saw a man and I was with him for three years and he did all of this with ease, <laughs> I would like to think I would have believed him when he said he would die and be raised from the dead. Except this man wasn't just a mere man. He was God. And only God has the power to raise himself from the dead. And he did. And he did. So if I told y'all right now that I was going to die and on three days be resurrected from the dead, you all would probably be looking at me really crazy. You would look at me crazy. You'd tell my wife, like, Josh is tripping. What is going on? What is this foolishness? that he is talking about. But if God tells you he's going to do something, we can bank on it because he's God. And his word, hear this show, his word is always bond. So look at how some of the disciples respond. As you've already seen, they worshiped. They've worshiped. Because this is the only response. This is the only appropriate response when we see God to worship. It's the only appropriate response to worship him because he's God. Similar to when John the Baptist, you might remember this, sees Jesus right in the beginning of his earthly ministry. What was what was John the Baptist's response? Well, John 129 says this. It says the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or this one, same chapter, a few verses later. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And then guess what happened after that? The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. They left him and he went to follow Jesus. I love John's response to seeing Jesus. And I love just uh, seeing how in the text that the disciples who were with John were like, you ain't the one. You've been telling us about the one. So now we're going to we're going to go follow the one who you have been telling us about for all this time. None of us have seen Jesus face to face or witnessed his resurrection like the disciples here in the Bible. But God has revealed himself and his beauty in the good news of Jesus. 
And guess what did he do? Guess what did he do in his grace? He gave us eyes to see. He gave us ears to hear. He gave us hearts to believe. Similar to, to Thomas, one of the disciples in John chapter 20, verse 29 says, Jesus said to him, Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If we're honest about our stories, none of us were checking for God before he saved us. None of us were checking for God. Instead, he was checking for us. None of us chose him first. Instead, he chose us. And because he chose us, we were able to respond to him. What sheer grace and mercy it, that is to be in our sin. God demonstrates his love through the Lord Jesus by him coming and living and dying and rising in our place and giving us hearts to receive him. That should bring us to worship every day. To think about where we were, think about what we deserve, and think about what God has done in spite of. And our response in light of all that was worship as this was what we were all made for, to worship Jesus, to bow before his presence, to be enamored with his love, captivated by his goodness and grace. So see the Savior afresh this evening and worship him, Christian. See him afresh and worship him. He is God and he has saved you, sustains you, and has secured you that you may know him and be with him forever, forever. But not all will worship. Some will doubt, some will doubt. And even for some of us who are Christians, we may struggle with doubt and unbelief at times. Uh, so let me address uh, doubters and, and those who struggle with doubt from two angles. Let me address it from two angles. So one, those who just doubt and don't believe. Two, Christians who struggle with doubt and unbelief. So one, those who just doubt and don't believe. So let's just assume that Jesus was who he said he was, right? So if he claimed to be God and he was, then this has a major impact on us. To doubt or not believe means to reject God. And in rejecting God means you will face his judgment. So if that's you this evening, I want to encourage you to go to God with your doubts. Go to him with your doubts. He is able to provide answers through his word. And he is willing to provide those answers. Then I want you to weigh the facts. I want you to weigh the facts. Now, I won't expound on this too much for time's sake, but if you would like to hear more on this, let me encourage you to check out, which is, a, which is crazy, the, the first sermon ever at CACC on Easter Sunday from 1 Corinthians 15, where I kind of deal with this a little more extensively in talking about uh, evidences for the resurrection and things along those lines. But listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 9. It says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, 
unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, Paul. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So we see here from this passage that Paul gives us straight facts here. He gives us straight facts. He tells us a couple of them. He says, Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So he fulfilled all of the, the prophecies in the Old Testament that uh, prophesied about him coming and dying and rising. So this Jesus fulfilled it in accordance with the scriptures. Uh, during the, the sermon on Easter, we talked about uh, the scriptures and how it's God's word, that it's, it's God breathed, that, that God uh, inspired, his inspired word was written through men. He inspired the word. It was God who wrote, though. It was, it was God's word. And we talked about the importance of knowing that and believing that. Two, he was buried and risen from the dead on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Notice that he says that twice, that the scriptures is, is important here. That is key here. That this is God's word and that Jesus has fulfilled prophecies years and years and years and years before that were prophesied about him. Then he appeared to people. Did you notice? So even in our passage, he appeared to uh, both Marys. So he appeared to women. And I dealt with this in the sermon on Easter more extensively, but he, he appeared to women, which is amazing. And then he also appeared to apostles. So he appeared to the apostles, he appears to, to Peter, he appears to the 12, he appears to more than 500 brothers at one time. He appears then also, as Paul says, to someone untimely born, as he says, he appeared to him. So you have eyewitnesses, people who saw the Lord Jesus, who he revealed himself to. He shows up, he pops up. And so my encouragement, if you were here and you were someone who doubted, I would encourage you to take your doubt to God, weigh the facts, the facts that are listed here in this passage and all throughout scripture. Don't harden your heart this evening. Receive Jesus by faith today. Two, to Christians who are struggling with doubt and unbelief, I would say lovingly, and very graciously, I think it's okay in some ways to struggle with doubt and unbelief. It's not okay to stay there. So it's okay to struggle with doubt and unbelief. You, you, we have seasons. There are things that happen in our lives and et cetera, et cetera. You have questions. That's okay. God wants you to come to him with his questions. He has answers in his word. And so it's not okay to stay there. 
This is why I love the Bible, because the Bible keeps it 100 with us. Thomas, who I've already mentioned before, who was one of the 12 disciples, struggled with unbelief. Right? This is one of the top dogs. One of the disciples, one of the apostles, struggling with unbelief. Listen to John 20, 24 through 29 of his account of Thomas. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, uh, sorry, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. This is Thomas. Someone who's been with Jesus, seen Jesus. It continues on. Eight days later, verse 26, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And what was Thomas's response? My Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. So notice that Jesus uh, doesn't encourage Thomas to stay in disbelief. He shows him. He was looking for proof. He wanted the evidences. Jesus shows him. And then he says, don't stay in disbelief, but believe, believe. Tells him to believe. It's not God's will for us, for you, Christian, to stay in disbelief. Even in Mark 16, uh, in the account, we see that Jesus rebuked the disciples for their unbelief. So some of us here need to repent for not believing God. We need to repent. We need to repent of our unbelief. And once again, he welcomes your questions, your doubts can be replaced with faith. And I encourage you, look to Jesus. He will not crush you, Christian, if you're wrestling with something. Maybe you've had a rough week. Maybe you've lost a loved one and you have some doubts about some things. Run to him with those doubts, with those questions. So see the Savior in worship. Some will doubt. And now point two, the Savior sends us on mission so that people may be saved. The Savior sends us on mission so that people may be saved. Look back at verse 18 with me. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus has all authority. I love how the King James Version translates the word authority. It says uh, the word for authority is power. Jesus has all power. We have an all-powerful Savior. In thinking about Jesus being all-powerful, here's how Dr. Tony Evans puts it. I love how he puts it in his Bible commentary. He says, in other words, he said, I'm in charge. Indeed, the Father has given the Son all authority up there and down here, in heaven and in history, in eternity and in time. Christianity, then, is no generic religion tied to a generic God. Authority over the universe is in the hands of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. 
So in verses 19 through 20a, Jesus, because he has all authority, because he has all power, he commands and commissions the disciples to go make disciples. So read that with me again. Verse 19 through 28. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But in order to make disciples, we must be a disciple first. So if you're not a Christian here this evening, uh, you are not a disciple. And the call for you this evening would be to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus so that you might be a disciple, so that you might yeah, be with him. So what is a disciple? What is a disciple? Very simple definition would be a follower of Jesus, a student, a learner, a follower of Jesus. I, uh, I'm watching Arrow, and I think Brock would appreciate this right now. Watching Arrow, some of you all might know it's DC Comics. Uh, I love superhero uh, shows and movies, but I'm watching Arrow right now. And so he's a superhero. Uh, his real name is Oliver Queen on the show. Uh, and he has a lot of money and a lot of, you know, access to things. He has a lot of equipment and different, you know, tools and different things they use to fight crime in the city. And one of the things that he's doing is he's been building a team since the beginning. So he has one guy named Mr. Diggle who is uh, his bodyguard, who, who stumbled across that. Man, this Oliver Queen guy is now the arrow. He is the arrow. So he's, you know, he was chasing him at one point during the season. He could never catch him. He just didn't know what this guy was doing in his time uh, away from the house. But what he did was, after revealing himself to Mr. Diggle, uh, he started to teach him. He started to train him so that he, too, could be a part of his team to help fight crime. And he did this with another young guy named Arsenal, uh, who, uh, yeah, he, he came across who this guy was already starting to, to try to fight crime in the city and this, that, and the third, didn't know who the arrow was. Uh, and the arrow took him under his wing and started to train him and to help him to uh, fight crime. And so for us as Christians... Now, we aren't out here fighting crime, right? We aren't, you know, out here uh, superheroing it up and whatnot. Uh, but we are pointing to the Lord Jesus. We do have a message that points to God who can save people from their sins. And we have been called to take people and put them in headlocks, to train them up, to teach them how to uh, obey, as we'll see later in the passage, but to to, to know Jesus, to obey Jesus, and to make Jesus known. That's all of our job as Christians. So then what would it mean to make disciples? Well, I love how Pastor Mark Dever puts it uh, in his book, Discipling, uh, which is a really, really helpful resource. He defines it this way. He says, uh, helping others, very simple, helping others to follow Jesus. That's what it is, discipling, helping others to follow Jesus. And then another definition from his book, which is really helpful, a little more drawn out, he says, discipling is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. It's deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. 
And as we continue on in the passage, we are to go. So when we think about the nature of discipling, uh, what a disciple is, what a disciple does, uh, and as uh, multipliers uh, seeking to see more people come to know Jesus and be discipled, we have to go. We have to go. This is what it says, right? Beginning of verse 19, it says, go. But I love it how some scholars have translated that uh, go, therefore, they've translated it as, as you go. As you go. Here's what I mean. So this means that the Great Commission isn't something only being fulfilled when you go to places like Zambia or Mexico or, you know, a, a mission trip, right? It, the Great Commission isn't only being fulfilled when you do something like that. I think what it more so means is that discipling happens in everyday life, in everyday going, in doing life. And so some of the things that you might be doing, so like discipling in your home, right, with your children or with other family members, in your community, at your job, at your school, at tennis practice or basketball practice or any other sports practice, at the grocery store, at a coffee shop, the doctor's office. I think the call for us is that we are to be making disciples wherever we go. So we are to be making disciples wherever we go. And something else that we need to know is that making disciples is not an option. It's a command. This is a command. God has commanded us to go and make disciples. And so hear, hear me, listen to me very clear. If, if we are not seeking to make disciples, then we are disobeying a direct command from God. We're disobeying a command that God has given us to make disciples. So I want to encourage you. We'll look at this a little bit more, but I, I, I want to encourage you. If, if, if you are here and we all are growing, in, I'm growing in that. So I don't want to come across as if I have it, I have it all together. I've, I've arrived in making disciples. I have not. But I do want to encourage us. If we are not in the game in the way that we should be in the game, if we're sitting on the bench, we need to get off the bench because God calls us all in the game of making disciples. We're all called to make disciples. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're like, man, like, okay, that makes sense. I want to do that. How do I do that? Well, I think, I think one thing that I would encourage, uh, and we have more copies in the back, I would encourage you to read Discipling by Mark Dever. I would encourage you to read that. Read it with somebody here. And, and you all hold each other accountable and read it together. And then think about, man, all right, cool. Like, we're reading this. How do I apply this with our relationship right now? How do I apply this in our discipling relationship, right? Even in our pod groups that we have, you know, maybe reading that with some, some folks in your pod group, you know, maybe one person in the pod group and you seeking to be intentional about discipleship with one another. Amen? So this means that we should be, I think, praying prayers like this. I think we should be praying prayers like this regularly, like, God, open the door for your word today. Open a door for your word today. So when we think about discipling, you know what I mean? As we think about as we go outside these four walls and to everywhere we are, praying prayers like this every morning, throughout the day, at night. God, open a door for your word. 
so that I might be able to, and give me boldness, as Paul asked for in Ephesians 6, give me boldness to proclaim your word. So we, as we go, we are to go locally and globally. Mark, the gospel of Mark, uh, in this account, he tells us that Jesus says this. He says this in chapter 16, verses 15 through 16. He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So to make disciples means that we are to proclaim the gospel. And we are to proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So Jesus, when he tells them to go proclaim the gospel to the whole creation or all nations, I believe has the inner city in mind and the nations in mind. That neighborhoods like Congress Heights and Anacostia and Lincoln Heights and so forth and so forth are in mind here. We are to go across the street and we are to go across the globe. I believe this is what God has in mind. And as we share the gospel, being reminded, as we were even talking about this morning in our time together, um, talking about who Jesus is and what he has done in our evangelism breakfast and, and discussion, but being reminded that, yeah, we share the gospel, but it's God who saves. He just calls us to be faithful to sharing the gospel, to sharing the message. And we baptize. We baptize those who have trusted Jesus by faith. We, meaning the church baptizes, and baptizing uh, with full immersion. And so water baptism is, as we see here in this passage and other passages, that water baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. It's an outward expression. It's something that we do publicly, a public outward expression of an inward reality, a reality that uh, Jesus has saved you, that you have gone from death to life, just like how if you were in a baptismal pool right now and we baptize you, you're buried with Christ and you're resurrected with Christ. And so outward expression, inward reality. And then also notice Christians are baptized in the name of the triune God. You see that there? See what it says? It says, baptizing them in the name, right, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I love how, yeah, Dr. Tony Evans was really helpful in helping me process this and think through this. He says this about that. He says, the presence of the three titles with the singular name affirms the Trinity. To be baptized is to commit a covenantal act by which you are publicly identified with the triune God. So, as we are baptized, we are identifying with the triune God. That's what it is. That's all it is, is that we are being identified with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then as the passage continues, we are to teach believers all of what Jesus has commanded. So we teach disciples to obey God's word. Notice that, right? It says teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, not all that Josh has commanded you, or not all that someone else has commanded you, but we are to teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded them, us. 
So essentially, everything that Jesus has said and everything that is on the pages of scripture, we are to teach believers to obey God's word. So in our discipling, may we have our Bibles open more. More, more Bibles open. More conversations around Jesus. And seeking to encourage one another to obey Jesus. Then lastly, Jesus is with us in our disciple making. And in general as Christians, right? So we see this here. That he is with us in our disciple making. But that he's with us in general as Christians. Look at verse 20b. It says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Isn't this such a comforting truth this evening? To know that the God of heaven and earth is with us in our evangelism and discipling. He was with us earlier today as we were out. He was with any of you all throughout this week and throughout the day or whatever. He is with us. So the same God who sent us by his power is the same God who promises to provide his presence. He has promised to be with us to the end of the age, which means, as the KJV says, uh, the end of the world. With us to the end of the world. And we know as Christians, we'll be with him for all of eternity. So this is a promise made and kept throughout the scriptures. So here are just a few examples uh, to, to, to comfort me, to comfort us as we think about God being with us. So when Joshua was gearing up to lead God's people, he was probably anxious and fearful. Look at what God says to him in Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Or in the book of Isaiah, God says to his people, and this has become like a life verse for me, a life verses for me. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is Isaiah 41.10. And in verse 13 of this same chapter, for I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you you. And then when we think about Jesus, right? Jesus' name, as we see in Matthew 1, means Emmanuel. It says here in verse 23 of Matthew 1, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which what? Means what? God with us. Isn't this good news to know that God is with us, family? He's with us. This is especially good news for for me as I battle with anxiety. It's a comforting bomb to know that God is with me in that moment with whatever I'm anxious about. For some of you here who may struggle with anxiety, God is with you. He is with us. He is with us right now as we are gathered. With us when we head home. With you when you are alone or in private. With you in your marriage and family. With you in your singleness. With you on your job or in your search for a job. With you when you are facing financial hardships. 
with you when you are facing health challenges or when you're watching a family member go through health challenges. He's with you providing strength, peace, and wisdom to support them. He's with you when you're hurting and feel like no one else understands. God does. He's with you when you lose a loved one. He's with you when you're battling temptations. Myriad of temptations. He is with you. He is with us, family. So how is he with us? How is he with us? Well, it's by his spirit. It's by his spirit. By his spirit that resides in us, Christians. Listen to John 14, 16 through 17, 26 through 27. Just, to, just in talking about God being with us. It says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. In you, in you, Christians. God of the universe resides in us. By his spirit. Verse 26 and 27 says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So this evening, Christian, God is with you. He's with you. He promised that he would be with you. And he comes through on all of his promises. He fulfills his promises. He Essentially, his promises being his word fulfills his word. And there is not a moment or a time or a day or an hour or a second or a minute that God is not with you. He promised to never leave nor forsake you. So whatever you're going through this evening, whatever you've experienced this past week, whatever you will experience tomorrow, God will be with you in it all. And that's comforting news. That's good news for us to know that. And he's especially with us in our disciple making and evangelism. We need not to fear. God has all authority and he promises his presence. So when we do go and share the good news of Jesus and as we seek to make disciples, we are going in the authority of God and with his presence. And we can trust him and we can bank on him. Amen? Amen. So as the band comes back up, worship team comes back up, let me close us. Father, you are indeed with us. And we praise you that you are uh, a God who 
doesn't like command us and commission us to, to be on mission and leave us. You are in fact, you commanded us and you commissioned us, but you in fact promised your presence to be with us in the work. And so we thank you, God, for your presence. Your presence that is residing here now with us as a local body gathered for your name. You are with us now and you'll be with us as we leave this place. So as we do leave in a little bit, God, I pray that you would help us to know that in whatever we face, with whatever we are going through, things that are, are spoken and unspoken, things that some of us may not even share with our closest friends or family members, things that you know, that you see, that you are able to address, that you are able to speak to, that you are able to provide comfort and peace and strength. I pray that you will reassure us tonight that your presence is with us, that no matter what we face, no matter what happens, no matter what we go through, that, it, 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 that we won't lose you, that we won't lose your presence. I pray, God, that you would help us to bask in your presence even more, that you would help us to, yeah, Lord, worship you even the more, to be more in your presence, to be more, God, at your throne, worshiping you. Help us, Lord, to not get caught up in everything else, God, that takes us away from being in your presence. But help us, Lord, to be more and more in your presence, that everything that we are a part of, Lord, that it influences, that it impacts, and that it will essentially help, Lord, us in those particular matters. So help us to see Jesus highly exalted and lifted up. Help us to worship him for who he is. Help us to love him, to adore him more and more. Help us to delight in him as you delight in us, God. So we love you. And we pray, God, that you would, yeah, Lord, grant us greater affections for you, for your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.